Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. Hey, um, have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law states that whatever can go wrong will go wrong. That sometimes when you think that you, you need something the most, it seems to be the thing that breaks down. That's what happened to me. Um, as we came home from holidays, we, we noticed that the house was pretty cold, and so we called the, the technicians, and they said, well, it needs a part, and it took a few days for that part, and they says, well, it needs another part, and it took a few days for that part, and then finally said, we can't get it started, and so you need new furnace. And all of this happens, you know, you would think, you know, when it was just minus five or minus ten or something like that, that would happen, but you hate when it happens when it's minus 35, don't you? Sometimes life goes that way. Well, my message today deals with the fact that sometimes life stinks. But I believe that God is in the middle of it all the time, ministering. He's on our side. Amen? Now, there was a, a, a strange call in uh, the fall of, uh, sep- I think it was September 2014, uh, the, uh, the U.S. Coast Guard received this um, weird call. And it was about an individual to, who was there who was caught in the middle of the ocean in a bubble. He was stranded in the middle of the ocean with a bubble. Now, apparently what was happening was that he was trying to run from Florida to Bermuda to promote world peace. And for those of us who, who are lacking in the geography... There's a lot of water between Florida and Bermuda. And yet he had this bubble that he was running on. He was an ultra-marathon runner. And, uh, and, and uh, you know the, the term, you know, he took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. Well, this person took a wrong turn at the Gulf of Mexico. And it kind of pushed him out into the ocean. Kind of crazy. And so they saw him there and he had a GPS a phone, and he had a a little bit of water, and he had a whole bunch of hamster food. No, he didn't have the hamster food. I'm only kidding. You know, that's kind of like the thought of a person running on that wheel or something like that. It's kind of crazy. And and so you say, why do you bring this up? Because this is probably the, the closest relatable story that I could possibly give you about somebody who walks on water, other than the story that we see that Jesus manifested in John chapter 6, which is where we are. And if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be speaking from. Uh, uh, John chapter 6, verses 15 to to 21. And it is interesting as you go and and, and look at this passage, there's so many things that it has to say. And and, uh, I I also came across an article of a, a doctor or scientist who tried in 2006 to explain away the phenomenon of Jesus walking on the water. And you know what he said it was? It was ice. At that particular time, it was unreasonably cold, and there was somewhat of an ice sheet. So in other words, Jesus was um, surfing, so to speak, on this ice. And when the disciples saw him, he wasn't really in, on the walking across the water. He was actually skidding or balancing his way on a block of ice. The article went on to say that this type of phenomenon happens 
once in less than every 1,000 years. So, you know, Jesus having nothing to do, you know, while the disciples are there in the middle of the night when it's raining and storming, decides to get on a block of ice. Hey, dudes! And if that's the case, I'll say this, that that doctor, that scientist has a whole lot more faith than I do. And sometimes people will go to extremes to explain away things that they don't know. And I'll just say this, that the miracles that the disciples experienced, I believe truly added to life. I believe that a life that passionately follows Jesus is worth it, don't you? There is something about the times where we step out for God that many times are what actually make life worth living for. I never ever forget the time where I uh, stepped out for God. Then I began to ask myself, when was the last time I really stepped out for God? Because folks, you know what? We tend to live life too safely. We tend to live life in that predictable zone. And the problem with living life in the predictable zone is that you never really ever get a chance to experience God. And so that's the challenge, I believe, one of the challenges of this particular passage. Um, it's a crazy thing when you take a look at some of the miracles that took place. And the, the question I ask myself is this. Um, if you had a chance to be uh, present at one of Jesus' miracles, what one would you choose? Why would you choose that one? This would certainly rank up near the top of them. And it's found in John chapter 6, verses 15 to 21. And let's just read it, and, and I kind of have a few things that I wanted to point out to you as we get into this, this, um, this passage of, of Scripture. I'm trying to find my notes here and that I got them in the, in the right order and stuff like that. Here it is. John chapter 6, uh, verses 15 says this. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now, when the evening had come, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea to Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had come to them. Then the, sea arose, then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But, when, but he said to him, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Now, if you've read this passage, if this is a familiar passage to you, kind of wave to me here. Many of us who have been in the faith for any length of time have probably read this passage a number of times, probably due to the fact that of the four Gospels, it is in three of the Gospels. The strange thing about this one is that it is probably the least detailed of all of them doesn't tell us about Peter venturing out, trying to step out on the boat himself. It doesn't go into the, some of the smaller details that, that there is in Scripture about this particular passage. It's kind of like the cliff notes of the passage. Now, this is the longest chapter in the book of John. I believe it's 71 verses in the book of John chapter 6. And it primarily is about 
Jesus feeding the 5,000, which we kind of learned about last week. And so he talks about the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, and the miracle which takes place. And then he talks about the rest of the chapter, talks about the repercussions of that event. So for, by, the, the, for the most part, this whole chapter, the 71 verses, talk about that miracle and the repercussions of that miracle. And somehow, for some reason, John the author finds five verses. It's almost like a parenthesis. Almost like a little addition to what is happening taking place. Now, as we had learned before, and if you're just kind of here visiting or you're just kind of watching and joining along right now, the book of John has seven particular miracles. They call, John calls them signs. And of the signs, uh, the intention was to show that not only was this Jesus a great person who had a great message and did amazing things, it goes far beyond that. He was saying this, he was actually God in the flesh. You can't forget that. This is of primary importance. And if I have last thing, if, if there's one more thing that I'm going to say to the generation that I am before I go to heaven, it is that. It's that important. Now, the, the interesting thing about the, these two, the, uh, um, sign four was the feeding of the 5,000, sign five or the, the uh, miracle number five is the walking on the water. The interesting thing about these particular miracles is that there is a connection to the Old Testament with these. Like in the Old Testament, um, Jesus fed them in the wilderness with man. There was a miraculous feeding with absolutely nothing to them. See, that kind of lines up with the feeding of the 5,000. And there was also instances in the Old Testament where they walked across the water, or they walked across the Red Sea on dry land. There's something about walking across or near or around water. There's a connection on these, isn't there? But there's, there's a, a bit of a difference that I wanted to, to point out to you, and it, I've always been curious about this. That the miracle of the 5,000 plus was a miracle that everyone saw. The miracle of Jesus walking on the water was just for the disciples. You find that curious? Why would Jesus have just reserved such a huge miracle for just those people who were personally in the boat? And if you forget, John, the author, was actually in this boat. This is not a second-hand reflection. This is something that he went through himself. And the funny thing is this. There are times where there are public miracles, where we all see the manifestation of God. But there are also times where God works in our hearts, in our lives, individually. And for some reason, I believe that God was trying to show or imprint on those who would take the faith to the next generation something that they would have to hold on to. And so here's some interesting things about this passage of Scripture. And if you have a few minutes to stay, to stay with me, I want to kind of say that there's, there's three things that I see in this particular passage which are important for us to understand. What is this all about? How does this affect the disciples? How does it affect us? What do we have to take away today from this passage of Scripture? Well, the first thing is this. First thing I want you to notice about this particular passage is this, is what I will call the, the drive. Now, 
Many times when you read this passage, you will read verses 16 to 21, which talks about Jesus talking on the water, them getting into the boat. But I wanted to add verse 15 for a specific purpose. Because verse 15 says this. After he did this miracle, they wanted to force him to become king. And he wouldn't let that happen. That's the context with which this miracle is on. And what it does is that it shows that Jesus had a lot of humility and a lot of focus and that Jesus actually had a motivating factor. Jesus had something in mind that he was going for. He was a driven individual. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that they wanted to make Jesus king because what was happening at that time was that there was a lot of animosity between the Jews and the Romans at that particular time. And the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah who was going to come, and he was going to kick the doors down. Not only that, it says in the first part of the, ver- of the chapter that they were on their way to Passover. So there was a whole group of people. What a better time to start a revolt with all the Jewish people who were going to be in Jerusalem at that time. And on top of that, John... One of their heroes was just killed by the Roman authorities. And so you see, you see this, this, this level of humility, or this, this level of resentment which had built up amongst the people. But it's amazing to think in this whole process what Jesus turned down. If you read Matthew chapter uh, 4, verses 1 to 11, it talks about the time when Jesus, after fasting, well, is, is driven into the wilderness, and, he, and after a time of fasting and prayer, all these things offered to him. If he would just forget the goal, if he would just forget the ambition that he had, he says no. He gave up the opportunity to be their king at that particular time. That would be a good, wouldn't that be a good strategy? Hey, I'll just become their king, and I'll be able to fulfill it. Didn't want that. Right later on in John chapter 6, he gave up his popularity. You'll read in the next few verses as you go on in this passage where it says, a lot of people stopped following him. After a huge miracle, many people just said, this is too much for me. I'm not going to follow him. And ultimately, it cost him his life. It made me ask a question that I wanted to ask to you today. What is it that drives you? What is it that drives us? When you surrender everything to Jesus, I kind of figured that it includes the things that drive you. When one gets serious about serving God, God begins to change things. And the one thing that he changes is our ambition. And the funny thing is, That when God changes our ambition, many times it becomes an inconvenience for us to serve him. Because when Jesus ruled and when Jesus was on the earth, he was often countercultural to what was happening. You see, God doesn't ask us for 95%. God asks us for 100%. And history is packed with people of stories who died for their love and their passion for Jesus. And I believe that God calls us to that same passion. And in a time when our society becomes more and more hostile towards Christianity, this is something that we need to consider. We read that passage of Scripture that says, whether in pleasure or in pain 
or my life, I give you rain. So I ask the question again, what is it that drives us? Is your ambition nailed to the cross? Do your goals extend past this world? Is the legacy that you want to leave one that focuses on you or on your children or on your guard, your God? See, sometimes the mark of our faith is not based on what we say yes to, but maybe it's based on what we say no to. And I just think that it's interesting that before the miracle even starts, John reveals where Jesus' drive and where Jesus' passion really lied. The drive. Now, the second part is obvious. Second part we will call the darkness. You know, all of a sudden they are out on a boat in the middle of nowhere where it is dark. And it has a lot more to do with darkness. It has to do with the storm. It has to do with the waves. It has to do with the unsureness as to whether you're going to make it or not. It has to do with being tired from rowing, the desperation, the feeling of hopelessness that ultimately leads to fear. Because that's how I would have felt if I was one of the disciples. And the funny thing is, if you take a look at this passage, 24 hours ago, they were in the midst of this fantastic miracle, handing out all these, this food that just comes from five loaves and two fishes and all these baskets coming back. What a fantastic move of God. What a wonderful time. The, the emotion and, the, and just the, the utter um, acceleration of a miracle like this. And then 24 hours later, they don't even know whether they're going to even live or not. And sometimes, folks, faith is like that. Sometimes the biggest battle that you will fight will be after some of the greatest victories you will experience. It's not true. Now, I come to, to, to realize that with fear, there is a... Um, what I'll call a 3D uh, effect of, of fear. And um, can I add this? Can I show you something interesting? In this particular passage, it doesn't show it. But if you take a look at Matthew's rendition, it says this. Jesus made them get into a boat. If you take a look at Luke in the King James Version, it says this. Jesus constrained them to get in the boat. In other words, he forced them. They really didn't want to go in the boat, and Jesus said, you have to go in the boat. Isn't that interesting? Because when you stop and consider it, you can stop and consider who Jesus is. He knew that they were going to be stuck in the storm. It was Jesus' fault, you could almost say, that they were in the predicament that they were in. And sometimes that goes against our theology which thinks that God wants us continually in the wilderness frolicking around with all of the flowers walking by. You know, we've seen that in the movie. But sometimes when you are going through some of the most difficult situations that you are going through, you are right in the middle of God's will. Isn't it true? So I think that there's what I'll call the three Ds, the 3D effect of darkness. And the first, thing, the first one is darkness. Uh, you know what the word for fear of darkness is? Nyctophobia. You can't see. And I don't know if, if I am a person who is particularly 
afraid of the dark. But I would rather be in the light. You too? You can't sit there and say, oh, I'm, I'm just, you know, some people, they, they turn out the lights and they freak out sort of thing. I'm not in that stage. But I kind of like it when the, the room is lit up. Because when, when I am sitting in a dark room, I lose all sense of measurement, don't, don't I? And you do as well. You have no frame of re- reference, and, and you become unsure of things. And, you know, the next step I take may plunge me to my death. I'm not even too sure. I can't see where I'm going. You ever walk in the middle of the night and step on your cat's tail? It's not that you are afraid of the dark. You are afraid of what's in the dark. And your imagination begins to fill in all of the blanks of what potentially can be in the dark. And so it slows you down. It makes you less sure. I have a theory. That there are certain parts of your body that speak while you're in the dark. Your brain, while it's in the dark, says, I know my way around here. Don't tell me I don't know my way around here. I'm perfectly fine with the lights out. Your toes are saying the exact opposite. Your toes are saying, turn on the lights, man. We've been through this before. But there's something about darkness that makes us unsure, and that's what fear does. Sometimes it leaves us in the dark. And this is what was happening to the disciples. It says it was pretty dark. I could imagine in the middle of the night where there are no lights around, you are in the middle of the sea, and there is a storm which is going on, and there are waves that are going on. It would have been pretty scary. Not only that, there would be the distraction. You know what Peter says in the story in, in, uh, in either in Mark or in Matthew as they tell the story? And Peter's the one who says, well, if it's you, let me come out and meet you. Remember? And he's doing fine. But the scripture says this. When all of a sudden he noticed the storm, that's when he started to lose it. And that is the problem many times with fear is that it will distract you. It will distract you from actually seeing God in the midst of it. You set your eyes on the giant rather than on your God. You set your eyes on the mountain rather than the God who made the mountain. And you become less sure. You become distracted and you become fearful. The last one is daunting. That it becomes overwhelming. It says that they had rode for four miles. I think I would be tired after a while. It's the combination of frustration and fatigue and futility, and it's not so bad that you're going through a difficult time. It's a problem that you've been going through such a difficult time for such a long time. And the truth is, you can't see an end of that line. And you become overwhelmed with the fact that you don't see anything changing, and your situation becomes hopeless. And so all of a sudden, you become overwhelmed by all of these things. And, uh, and I believe that God wants to Um, I think that God wanted to show something special to the disciples at this particular time. Because I think Jesus knew that they were going to be going through a time where they're actually going to need to see God. Take a look at the lives of the disciples. Jesus knew what they were going to go through. And he had to provide something for them to show them that the God 
who is in control of the rain and the wind and all of nature is with him. And that believes that that's kind of the, the final thing. There is the drive, there is the darkness, there is the defying of nature. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, defying gravity, isn't it? And John wanted to remind his audience that Jesus was God because he controlled nature. And again, John was the author here. There was something about that that he wanted them to see that was important. But there's something here in this passage, folks, that is different than the other two passages. And we don't see it because of the language difference. Let me kind of, if I can, hopefully explain this to you. When they see Jesus, they are afraid. The literal translation, what it says in, in, in the book, says, don't be afraid, I'm here. But the literal translation in the book of John says this, do not fear, I am. Isn't that interesting? You think, well, what's so interesting about that? Well, it's the same wording that was used of Moses in Exodus chapter 3, where he says, tell him that I am. And in the book of John, they're going to, you're going to be coming up against a number of statements where he says, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And, and you have all these statements. And it was based on the fact that those people who were in the boat, when Jesus said, fear not, I am, they would have recognized that. And what Jesus was actually saying is this, I am God. You need to realize that I am God. And if I am God... I can come up against any problem that you are going through. Whether long, whether short, whether you're tired, whether or not, whether there's hope, whether there's not, you need to understand that I'm God. And I believe that they probably held on to that truth for the rest of their lives. He is the God of Israel. You know, and, and, and this is probably why he just shows it to the, to the uh, disciples at that particular point, which, which leads me to a conclusion and a challenge that I have for all of us who are here today. Do you believe that Jesus is greater than the storm that you are presently in? Do you believe that he will be the strength in your weakness? Do you believe that he will be the peace in your distress? Do you believe that he will be the comfort in all of your trials? And the truth of the matter is this, that you probably didn't come here with calluses in your hands and with sore shoulders because you were rowing all night and that you were exhausted from all of this effort in darkness. But you maybe here saying, I think I've had enough. I think I'm at the end of this line and I don't know what to do. Do you believe that Jesus is greater than the storm that you are in? Are you sick of the darkness? Are you distracted by life's challenges? Are you overwhelmed with the daunting feeling that you do not have hope? I invite you to look and come to the one who controls the storm. That somehow you will trust in him. That somehow you will rest in him because he does care. 
And there might be something that will happen where we will all see a miracle. But maybe you are here today and you are saying, I need a miracle that is just for me. And if that's the case, I want to open these altars. And I want to pray with you and and the prayer team wants to pray with you in whatever situation that you are going through. It would be a terrible thing to talk about Jesus walking on water and not allow you to have an opportunity to have the God of nature work in your life. Amen? So Father, I pray for every single person who is here. I pray that you will continue to bless each and every life, each and every family. But I know for a fact that there are people who are overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the storm, overwhelmed by the waves, overwhelmed by all of the rowing they've had to do. And they're in a place where they need to see you move in their lives, or at least to say, everything's going to be fine. I am God. I am Jehovah God. I am Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. I am God, your provider. I am the Lord, your banner. And for those people who are here, who are in that situation, I pray that they will find your grace and love and sustenance at this altar today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. God, I pray a blessing upon this congregation, every family, every individual, every circumstance. Father, we give to you and we glorify you as the congregation of Bethel Christian Assembly. And as the pastor, I pray your blessing. And I pray for your power to work on our lives, Father, to go out and make a difference for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.